This is Wahid Jensen, and you are listening to Away Beyond the Rainbow. and welcome to a brand new episode of Away Beyond the Rainbow, this podcast series dedicated to Muslims experiencing same-sex attractions who want to live a life true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam. I'm your host, Wahid Jensen, and joining me again is my dear friend, Adam. Assalamu alaikum, Adam. Wa alaikum salam, Wahid. How are you? I'm good, alhamdulillah. How are you doing this week? I'm good. Yes, it's been a, it's been a good week. Uh, excited to continue our conversation from last episode, inshallah. Inshallah. Yep. Uh, so today's episode is going to be uh, kind of a shift from the earlier discussions, even though it feeds into them. But it's quite a unique take and a unique perspective on some uh, some topics that we actually take for granted. But we're going to look at them in a different manner. Today's episode is about attachments and surrender. How about you take the lead on this, Adam? Oh, was that part of the episode? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to edit this out, by the way. It's, it's going into shut the episode. Up. No, and that shut up is going into the episode so people can really like have fun. So, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Right, we're going to start today's episode with a quote from our very dear Yassi Yasmin Mujahid. She says, it's never easy to stand when the storm hits. As soon as it starts raining, lightning shortly follows. Dark clouds replace the sun and all you can see are the waves of an ocean once calm surrounding you. No longer able to find your way, you reach out for help. You begin by calling the Coast Guard. No reply. You try again to redirect the boat. No use. You look for the lifeboat. It's gone. You reach for a life jacket. Torn. Finally, after you've exhausted every means, you turn your face upward and ask God, but there's something completely unique about this moment. At this instant, you experience something you otherwise could only theorize about. True Tawheed, oneness. See, on the shore, you may have called on God, but you called on him along with so many others. You may have depended on God, but you depended on him along with so many other handholds. But for this singular moment, everything else is closed. Everything. There's nothing left to call on. Nothing left to depend on but him. And that's the point. I thought we can start this episode by sharing a story. Let's imagine together that there's a little kid who is in a swimming pool and he is supposed to learn how to swim. Mm Imagine this kid, this little child, clinging to the metal bars at the side of that pool, and he's immersed in water from the neck down. He has his arm floaties, and his mom and the swimming coach are by his side. He's still clinging on those bars, and he refuses to let go. And he screams and cries in the process. There's too much fear, too much pain in letting go. Despite the reassurance from those around him, he's too afraid. He cannot even hear them as he screams and cries. 
They try many ways to comfort him. They encourage him to let go, but he doesn't. They gently try to pull his arms from the bars, but he clings even tighter. They try in all sorts of ways, but there's no hope. It only makes the child clutch onto the bars harder and scream louder, wanting to get out of the pool. A few minutes later, with some force, the coach embraces the kid in water as the mom releases the child's hands from the bars. It takes a while, and the child's screams and panic only get more intense, as you can imagine. The coach holds on to the child as they slowly swim towards the middle of the swimming pool, and after some resistance, he lets go of the child. The child panics and slaps the water around him, but soon realizes he's floating on his own. After a while, he calms down as he sees those around him smile at him and encourage him to keep swimming. He realizes that the floaties around his arms actually help him float after all. He then swims around, smiling, and the rest is history. Let's say some time passes a year later, and the child is now ready to remove the arm floaties. He's been dependent on them for all this period. What happens is the same thing, the same crying, the same screaming, holding on to the metal bars, the same sequence of reassurance and encouragement, but nothing works. Then, with a gentle force, the floaties are removed, the kid is taken further from the pool edge, and after some resistance, he is set free. Again, he slaps the water again and again, only to realize that he's actually swimming, this time unsupported. He's doing it on his own. All the training so far has helped him reach this point. He swims alone and reaches the other edge of the pool, only to hear the cheers of those around him. He finally did it. He finally let go, and that set him free. And the rest is once more history. Mm -hmm. So if we think about the story, it's quite common, right? Um, we may have been that kid ourselves and experienced that to varying degrees. And if we actually think about it closely and we ponder upon the story, the truth is all of us are that kid. Even as adults, we are that kid. We're not talking about swimming or whatever other occasion that might be. We're actually referring to what? To attachments. Fear of loss, fear of letting go. The same sequence. We all have our attachments in life. Things that we latch onto. It might be material things that we're afraid of losing. It might be people. It might be love, ideals, beliefs hopes, dreams, whatever they may be, any risk of losing them would lead to an emotional avalanche. Even thinking about that stirs all sorts of emotions and makes us hang on too tight. Mm -hmm. But when we think about that, that's not what Allah intends for us, right? I remember a very dear and wise friend of mine, he once told me something very, very beautiful that stuck with me until this day. He said, God is jealous in a good way. Mm -hmm. He hates having anyone associated with him. There are no gods but him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. There, there cannot be anyone else. He doesn't allow competition in that regard. And he doesn't want us to attach to anything in this life except to him. He gets jealous if we do otherwise. He wants us solely for him. So he tests us with the things to which we are attached 
in order to help us let go. It is selfish by our own standards, but it's amazing when you think about it. It is his own pure love. I found that very, very beautiful, and it's it's very difficult to kind of internalize those concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we, if we look back to the metaphor or the story uh, of the kid who was clinging onto those metal bars, we actually think that we're doomed if we let go. Mm-hmm. That's why we hold on too tight. We're too afraid because it's unknown. You know, there's too much hard work. I don't know what's going to happen if I let go. I'm going to die. Literally, I'm going to die, right? I'm afraid I'm going to drown. We think we might even lose our life altogether. But he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, has got us covered all along. Just like the mom and the coach by the kid's side, he sends us people to be with us, to be by our side, even when we fail to notice them. He gives us support to keep us floating, even when we think we're inevitably going to drown. He encourages us to let go, slowly and gradually, and when, and when we keep clutching and hanging on too tight, what happens is with gentle force, full of love, He subhanahu wa ta'ala helps us to let go. We cry and we shout and we complain and we even blame Him sometimes. Yet He helps us through it even when we don't want to let go. And then we realize it's much more beautiful on the other side. And the same thing repeats itself as we progress through life. All sorts of attachments. We're meant to be set free, purified. This is the reason. This is dunya. We're meant to be purified. That's why we have trials and tribulations. That's why we have tests. Every time, there is going to be pain with losing that particular attachment. But the healing is much more profound. Our voids are filled through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and every time we reach higher and higher levels until we're completely set free by Him. Yeah, this is quite, uh, this is a really big topic um, and I have had lots of experiences with attachments and letting go and Mm-hmm. A feeling like the world is going to end when you do let go, but realizing that on the other side, it's actually not. It's not much different, but it's better, um, and it's often just a nuanced change. Mm. Like I often say this to myself and also other people is that like it does it all. It takes is a one or two degree shift mm-hmm. um, when you set off from shore for two mm. boats to end up in different destinations. Like they're on the same. Uh, they're, they're headed to the same destination. You change their their, their uh, destination by you know one degree, two degrees, whatever. They're going to end up in completely different places. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like those, it's just those small shifts in life as we grow and evolve that all add up to a sum total that we then look back on after a year or two years right. or three years or ten years or whatever, and see that we've uh, changed and evolved a lot. But the process can be quite difficult and mm-hmm. um, painful even and quite frightening so we need to be prepared for the process and part of that preparation is being thrown in at the deep end and feeling the fear uh, even though we don't want to and I say that because <laughs> there's been many a time when I didn't want to feel the fear 
who who wants to feel that right exactly. like we're not we're not prepared for it and it's just too painful exactly so um what helps though is having other people give you some kind of perspective um and having people around you who can um mirror back your own experience to you and kind of show you the 360 degree view of something mm-hmm. especially when you're in the thick of the storm because you can't see beyond the clouds and the rain and all of that um, right. it's, it's useful to have an outside perspective um and also just taking a moment is uh, taking a moment away from the world and just reflecting on what is actually happening and why because I feel like oftentimes with the lives, the lives that we live, we don't afford ourselves that space. We don't actually accommodate for it. It's always like, right, we've finished work, right, are we now studying, right, we're looking after the kids, right, we need to go and um, deal with our parents, uh, then we've got a social gathering, and then, you know, it's just one thing after the next, after the next, and we're quite bad at um, giving ourselves time mm-hmm. regularly enough that we can reflect and take stock of, of what is actually going on in life mm-hmm. yeah this is a this is an excellent topic how do you feel about this topic um as you said i mean i agree with everything that you said and i honestly feel that um you know we, we have different attachments to different degrees and i now feel that uh, alhamdulillah after a lot of things that i've been through in my life it kind of gave me perspective that okay, am I attached to this particular thing or this particular person uh, or this particular emotion or this pleasure or whatever that is, then I know that I will be tested for it sooner or later. Um, And am I too attached to it? And and I think that if I'm going to lose it, it's going to stir all sorts of negative emotions in me, then I am attached. If I can just live without it, then I am not attached. And what is the ideal situation for me is to not be attached to anything or anyone. Of course, we love people. Of course, we love things. I mean, we're human at the end of the day, right? We love our parents. We love our friends. We want to always be there. But there's a difference between uh, that kind of love and and the normal relationships that we have versus being attached to the point that you can't let go. Because ultimately, I feel that if if we have that kind of attachment, that's not healthy. That's not what is intended for us uh, and now i see that i mean i have that perspective of actually and and i mean i still struggle with it i'm not saying i'm perfect or any of us is but the, the idea is that um you know th- it's it's been a common theme in my life to actually be tested in the things that i'm attached to because i was always remind uh, i realized that i was always reminded in those occasions that allah wants me to be free allah wants me to be independent of the dunya, the shackles, anything that is created, to be independent of the creatures and be dependent on the creator mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. And that is true freedom because nothing and no one actually bothers me. Whatever comes and goes is just part of his own decision and I am okay with whatever happens. Mm-hmm. And that is like the ideal state that I strive for, and I still struggle to actually achieve that. But I realize that what has given me stamina and endurance and um, strength to actually be able to cultivate that mindset is the number of hardships and trials and 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 
you know, those occasions where I was forced to let go of those attachments. And many of those attachments were very difficult to let go. Very, very difficult. Especially when I was attached to specific people, when I was really codependent, um, or when I was really afraid of losing a person's attention um, or losing a specific status or a reputation or a thing that I owned for some time. Mm-hmm. And, and But then I realized that I was, in a way, imprisoned by those things. They were controlling me. But Allah doesn't want me to be controlled by those things. Allah wants me to be set free. Um, and that was something that I learned with time. And subhanAllah, it really changed my perspective. And that's when I kind of thought about that kid in the swimming pool, because it's such a, you know, it's such a powerful metaphor. Uh, we are afraid of letting go, but the moment we let go, we realize that he's taking care of us and that we're actually right. stronger by letting go and we can mm-hmm. handle it with him. Yeah. But we're just too afraid because we're so scared of the unknown. We're so scared. It's it's like a, a person is afraid of being annihilated because those are the emotions, those are the things that I'm used to. This is my comfort zone. And if I'm going to get out of my comfort zone, I will die, literally. Mm. Um whether it's physically or emotionally or whatever, I don't know what's going out there, so let me be where I am used to being. Right. That's never going to be the path to growth and to healing in particular. Right. And I feel like people like us, in particular people with SSA, as we said, you know, we have a lot, many of us have codependency issues, attachment issues. Um, we latch on to emotions, we latch on to people because we have been hungry for love or we've been um, looking for that love for a very long time. And so when we find someone who gives us love or attention, we kind of latch on to that person. I'm not generalizing, of course. I mean, people are different, but I'm just saying that this is one of the common themes that come up. And so this mm-hmm. this hits home for us. There are lots of attachments, and it's so painful to go of those attachments, but they're necessary. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree of all of that. Um, it's very difficult. It's not easy. I don't think that there's a such thing as arrival for anybody. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is you don't arrive at a state where that's your constant default way of being, it might get easier for you to do it because you've been lifting the weights for so many years that it's easier to confront and let go of things. I don't think that there's ever a point where it's absolute detachment from things. Um, mm-hmm. Like the, This is very similar to a lot of what certain Sufi groups um, teach and talk about this idea of having attachment and um, love of other things in the world um, in competition with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they talk about their analogy is similar to the one with the, the child in the swimming pool they, well, one of the analogies from amongst all the different uh, the groups uh, one of the, the, mm-hmm. an analogy that comes to my mind is the ant and the rug the ant is looking for let's say red stranded strands of, of you know of thread on the rug and mm-hmm. you can't, like they can't find it and so you know he's a and amongst all the the green, for example. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the minute he sees that one red strand, it's like he goes and he clings to it and he's like, Oh my god, I found it. It's it's amazing. This is this is great. But mm-hmm. only if he was willing to let go and just move maybe like a couple steps further to the left, he would be in amongst mm-hmm. so much of the red that it would just be mm-hmm. so much abundance and 
there wouldn't be a lack of or a feeling of, well, this is the only thing that's here. There's, there's this whole world. That kind of comes right. to like this idea of abundance and there being a lot of um, sustenance in the world. In many ways, mm-hmm. I mean, you could think about it in material terms, but also just in terms of um, sustenance uh, that sustains us, the, the, the sustenance that sustains each human being and in, in their to- in their entire being. So right. mentally, physically, spiritually, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's not an easy thing to do. It's very difficult. I struggle with it all the time. I ain't gonna lie. I hate the experience of going through that. I have accepted that I hate it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I've learned to manage right. it, uh, at least mm-hmm. in some messy way, uh, and just try and get to the other side. I feel like journaling helps me. I really enjoy journaling because of it helps me write down things and be very honest with myself. Um, and I think that for some people that might be a good option because maybe they just don't feel comfortable talking to people about things mm-hmm. or at least not to start with because if you're anything like mm-hmm. me my thoughts can be all over the shop and so I'd rather like try and make sense of them before I present them to other people mm. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that makes perfect sense that's just yeah. me <laughs> right yeah 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 so, I hear you 100% you know so like and you know I've done this uh-huh. <laughs> yep <laughs> you know I've done this, so uh-huh. uh, yeah, I yeah. So I yeah, that, those are my sort of two cents on on that. And a lot of us feel that um, it's necessary for us to talk to other people to kind of vent or to take uh, their opinions and their two cents on the matter, like you said, mm-hmm. because Allah, you know, surrounds us with support. Yep. And whether it's through people, whether it's through. Um, you know, his own emotional support, whether it's through, uh, you know, spiritual support, uh, sustenance, whatever that is. In those particular trials, there are lots of support, uh, lots of ways that we are supported by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ways that we realize and ways that we don't realize. Right. Um, and one of the ways is that he sends us people who surround us and who support us. And so one of the ways that we can actually handle trials is to feel that we're not alone and that there are people who care about us, uh, people that we can uh, go through these specific trials with. So that's one way. So he said journaling, um, having a support group, or talking to friends or family, if that's a possibility. Talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, always like through prayer. Obviously, we do this on a regular basis every day through making dua, but also through just talking to him, like you talk to a friend or you talk to someone. I, I love doing that personally. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to dua and to, to praying, alhamdulillah, on a daily basis, uh, from time to time, I just sit and just talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like I'm talking to you right now, we're talking to the audience. Right. And that really, really helps me. It's very cathartic. I reflect on so many things and I just vent out. Sometimes I cry, sometimes I laugh, sometimes it's just a regular conversation. Whatever that is, it just, you know, it helps me deal with things. So whatever helps people deal with those things, but just to realize that Allah is with them, Allah is taking them by the hand and helping. He's not leaving them to be tried. Allah is not leaving us hanging. He's actually giving us sustenance and support throughout the process. So that's something to kind of count on. Um, So Adam and I thought that one of the very inspirational stories uh, from the stories of the prophets is the story of uh, our prophet Ibrahim His story is filled with trials and tribulations, as we know, and in particular, the kinds of trials and tribulations where he is 
he is put at a crossroad and he is asked to let go of attachments and they were very very difficult choices um, so let us start with the story of Ibrahim alayhi previous episodes we give examples of many prophets and giants um, from before us whose lives were filled with lots of trials and tribulations and as we discovered they had to make lots of tough choices for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I think today we wanted to explore the story of the Prophet Ibrahim peace be upon him whose life was characterized by many pivotal moments of surrender to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala submission to him and letting go of lots of worldly attachments um, and as you'll see, this, these were not small um, tasks or feats, subhanAllah. These were really big um, sacrifices that he was asked to make. Right. And one can only imagine what goes through the mind of somebody who is faced with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously his complete faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what saw him through all of them. Um, and there's so much for us to, to learn from those. So, right. um you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk. I think a good place to start is, is sort of at the beginning of his story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ibrahim, peace be upon him, salam, is the father of the great monotheistic faiths. Um, he was born into a culture that was depraved and devoted to um, false gods, um, you know, paganism, essentially. And he questioned and struggled to find the truth, mm-hmm. to find out who Allah or who God really was. With no support, um, you know, to, to really help him in that endeavor. He was very much on his own and isolated. So we all can relate to that, I'm sure. Um, both of, as people who have had right. an experience SSA, but also even maybe in our own personal journeys, because I know that I have had that experience um, where, you know, feeling the kind of loneliness um, right. within the sort of, you know, discovery of Islam, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. Um but one night, Ibrahim travelled up to a mountain to watch the sky and observe nature. And a while later, he heard a voice calling him. And it was none other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah commanded Ibrahim to submit and become a Muslim. And as you can imagine, Ibrahim was absolutely, well, shocked, taken aback, probably afraid, trembling. Right. And he fell to the ground. And he prostrated himself before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he cried out, I submit to the Lord of the universe. And eventually he got back up on his feet and he made his way back home. And but at that by this point, like this is sort of the transformation moment for Ibrahim alayhi salam. Mm-hmm. His heart was filled with incredible peace and contentment. So Ibrahim now had a brand new mission to call his people to the truth and help them accept Allah as their one true God. And you should understand that like he comes, he comes he's very, his story is very similar to the Prophet because he's we're both we're dealing with people who are entrenched in paganism, who mm-hmm. have committed themselves for decades and decades and decades, believing that there's multiple gods, uh, going to these gods and offering, you know, prayers and uh, venerating them and worshipping them and asking them for support. So mm-hmm. you can only imagine Ibrahim now coming out of the mountains, <laughs> having received some type of revelation mm-hmm. and given a task to call people to truth. That is not easy. That's, that's very difficult. And so as he goes on his mission, um, his father rejected him, his people rejected him, no one listened to him. And we know how the story of Ibrahim, um, when he decided to destroy, destroy all the idols except for one, the largest idol, so that he could explain 
and demonstrate the misguidance and fallacy of his people. I always found this story to be quite funny <laughs> because it kind of is, if you think about it, because he's really challenging fundamental, you know, misunderstanding of these people, a, a, a mm -hmm. misguided belief. Mm -hmm. And the way that he does it is just so, it's just like, it's plain to see, obviously. So in the story, like I'll, I'll, as, as, as I'll quote from the Quran now, um, you know, they said, have you done this to our gods, O Abraham? So the people are questioning him, like, have you destroyed, you know, one of these idols? And then he responds, he said, rather this, the largest of them did it. So ask them if they should speak. And so they returned to blaming themselves and said to each other, indeed, you are the wrongdoers. Then they reversed themselves saying, you have already known that these do not speak. So it's almost like they're, they're, they're really stuck um, and challenged here because he's, he's essentially, he's made a valid point, but these people have a lot of pride that's not allowing them to reject right. the idols that they've been worshipping for generations. So, you know, pride mm -hmm. in their ego is getting in the mm -hmm. way. And I think sometimes we know we have to make tough decisions of letting go of previous beliefs that we've held on to for a long time, habits, mm -hmm. behaviours, but our pride and ego can get in the way. Um, and I've, I can attest to this. Um, and, you know, it's that that makes it all the more difficult to let go of that thing. Um, so and these are these are attachments and they're very strong attachments. Right. right. And they, they, they get to our core like we are. We are faced with attachments that we have taken for granted. And now it's like an earthquake. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we can imagine that how those people felt they were forced to see their own misguidance and they admitted that to themselves right but the problem was that they were very proud and the ego got in the way and then they flipped all of a sudden yeah right? absolutely and shaitan will use this against us it's, uh, you know the devil he will use that and exploit that in, in uh, within ourselves and also our nafs like you've said mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't want to let go and we have to then make the choice of what we're what we're going to do and sometimes like that, when I experience that type of resistance, I tend not to, I, I stop myself from making conclusions um, in that moment, even if it, even though it may be difficult. And I try not to allow myself to make judgments um, of wherever that information is coming from. So whether someone says something that's maybe new to me or it challenges an existing belief, um, I mm -hmm. do tend to try my best <laughs> to stay quiet and just hear what's being said right. and I personally I like to go away and like think on it mm -hmm. and reflect on it and then try and make sense of it that way so that's a tactic that I use so I just wanted to throw that out there because I think so oftentimes like it's easy to say you know will we make the tough choice and I don't think it's as simple as you're faced with something new and immediately you accept it Sometimes it requires that going away and reassessing things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It needs reflection. It needs effort. But the problem is that we jump to conclusions and we're too too quick to kind of yeah. fight yeah. on behalf of our own ideas. And sometimes we can take a moment to just realize we actually have taken certain things for granted and we need to reanalyze. We might be on the wrong side. Mm -hmm. And it's never wrong to just take a moment, take some time to reflect, as you said. Even if we're on the right side, that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that we don't entertain other ideas yep. just to kind of 
be open to other ideas. Not 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 necessarily means this does not necessarily mean that I'm going to change sides or whatever. I'm just going to entertain those ideas and assess them rationally, emotionally against my own value system. Yeah. And then see if that makes sense or not, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I feel like this is so important for us to do as Muslims. I feel like, in our, generally speaking, Muslims have gotten really bad at doing this. We, we become, struggle with this big time, yeah, unfortunately. We're yes. so bad at this. We are, honestly, so many of us are so dogmatic. We refuse mm-hmm. to entertain, um, not only, we refuse to entertain criticisms of our own beliefs, as in our own personal mm-hmm. beliefs, but also... Um, we are so shook and challenged by the belief, by the questioning that people have of Islam as well. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, this is slightly a different topic, but I like to call this having intellectual integrity, which is mm-hmm. if you're going to criticize other things, then we should also be prepared to have you know our own views and beliefs challenged and criticized. And I feel like it actually it makes for um, it sharpens the mind, it sharpens the intellect, it forces you to really assess some of your own logic or right. lack of logic mm-hmm. depending on the context and it helps you um depending on how you approach it it actually helps you build empathy and understanding your opponents mm-hmm. quote, or mm-hmm. the person the, <laughs> the person on the other side of the, the argument mm-hmm. uh, and every time i've done this or engaged in this type of um uh, you know this kind of approach it's not easy I would lie and tell you if it was enjoyable. It's absolutely not. I hate it. Of course it's not. I hate it. Mm -hmm. Don't like it. It's uncomfortable. But I've always come out the other side with a much better perspective of that. Alhamdulillah. SubhanAllah. So I, I couldn't emphasize that enough. And actually, if you recall, in previous episodes, we spoke about humility, right? Right. And and one major aspect in, in this particular discussion is the pride and the ego that comes in the way. And we said that the nafs uses it, the shaitan uses it to kind of incur, um, talk us out of entertaining the other side or maybe submitting to the truth or letting right. go of our own attachments and preconceived notions or whatever. Uh, and there's humility in that. And humility is not an easy thing, especially when it's the, the, the pride and the ego are deeply entrenched. Uh, and, and we are, you know, the the the, the other side is attacking uh deeply held beliefs and especially when we know that the other side is on the right side Mm -hmm. and we might be wrong um it takes a lot of humility to say okay i submit to the truth that's not an easy thing right right and this is what those people fail to do unfortunately yeah yeah and i I, just one last point on this before we move on i don't Mm -hmm. think society helps that either i feel like people if you are seen to change your view in especially public debates or discussions, you're then seen as like fickle or weak in some way because you then decided to pivot to a new opinion, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's a problem because right. it then means that if you say something that you, if you say that you believe in something, that then has to become your belief until your dying day. But that's not how people work. That's not how the world works. Right. And right. that stops people from then evolving and growing. And there's so many instances of this in popular culture when someone has maybe said something 10 years ago that was considered, you know, uh, um, acceptable at the time. And then 10 years on, it's now unacceptable. And then someone decides to dredge it up and say, oh, look what so-and-so said. They're fascist or they're, you know, whatever label you want to give them. 
And then there's this entire PR piece and the media get involved and they're dragged over social media and the whole thing, it's just a mess. <laughs> and then they're making public exactly. apologies. Yeah, so I don't like that at all. So when people change their views, uh, or at least I observe them changing their views, I don't sit and say, oh, well, how dare they? Or, well, what about that? That's not a good approach to have. Because when the day comes that we have to make those same choices, the last thing we're going to want is other people coming and saying, you know, what the hell are you doing? And, you know, you thought this mm -hmm. and yada, yada, yada. And you're basically being held hostage to our old belief or our old opinion that you held. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just... I we're human that. at the end of the day, right? right. So we, we, we always evolve and we change our ideas and thoughts and belief, uh, belief systems and everything. It's just, uh, I mean, life is a journey and we end up shedding old baggage and having new ideas and thoughts all the time. So the person we were like a couple of years ago or a decade ago is not the same person that we are today or in the future. And then again, like you said, society doesn't really help when mm -hmm. it comes to like they have a fixed idea of you and you should maintain that right. standard. It takes a lot of, again, going back to the theme of vulnerability, like to be vulnerable, to actually admit maybe past mistakes or to actually be vulnerable to tell people that, well, I've changed my mind mm -hmm. or I'm now on a different level or a different side or right. what have you. It takes a lot of courage, takes a lot of vulnerability and it takes a lot of humility as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So getting back to the story of Ibrahim, um, Allah quotes in the, him in the Quran by saying, then do you worship instead of Allah that which does not benefit you at all or harm you, off to you and to what you worship instead of Allah, then will you not use reason? And so what was the reaction of his people when he said this? They said, and they've been quoted in Quran, burn him and support your gods if you are to act. So. You know, they are uh, insistent that they're not changing their mind. They're quite, you know, content or, <laughs> you know, happy with how they believe, what they believe rather. And a huge pit was dug in the ground and filled with wood. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, um, it's described as being like the biggest fire anyone had ever seen. SubhanAllah. And Ibrahim finds himself shackled, his hands and his feet chained tightly together. And he was fitted into a giant catapult that would be what would be used to throw him into the fire. And at that very moment, Ibrahim was visited by the angel Jibreel, who says to him, is there anything that you wish for? Can you imagine the <laughs> you're you're facing almost imminent death? You know, you, you, <laughs> you're um, mm -hmm. you know, going to be thrown into a, a pit of fire. Burning to death is not a quick, easy way to die. So imagine you're Ibrahim in this moment. You're literally going to be catapulted straight into your, your death. You would have wished for, oh, Jibreel, yes, <laughs> take me away from here. <laughs> you know, save me. Like, you want to be out of there. You don't want to be stuck in that catapult. Ibrahim replies and says that his only wish was for Allah to be pleased with him. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. And, you know, like, he could have asked for anything to beg for his life. But he chose to ask for the blessing and the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the epitome of submission and trust in Allah. Um, exactly. When Allah fills the hearts um, with His love, then we literally, as we can, as we uh, are, are taught through these stories, is that you, we don't see anything else and we only see Him. Mm -hmm. And then, what did Allah subhanahu wa taala plan? Allah says in Quran, 
all fire, be coolness and safety upon Ibrahim. And they intended for him harm, but we made them the greatest losers. So as we know, one of the main qualities of fire or pro probably primary quality of fire is that it burns. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disabled that quality in this particular case. So this mm -hmm. is fascinating to me because it's like, it goes back to the whole kun fire kun. Being it is, Allah mm -hmm. just needs to say being it is. And it just, mm -hmm. it's a demonstration of his absolute power over all things. And it reminds mm -hmm. me of the story of Musa alayhi salam with the sea parting and that whole right. piece. It's, yeah, it's subhanAllah, it's, it's quite amazing. And mm -hmm. um, so he ordered the fire to be nothing but cool and peaceful for Ibrahim. And the fire obviously has no other choice but to obey. Um, and it burnt only um, Ibrahim's chains so that he was free. And Ibrahim walks out of the fire with a bead of sweat upon his skin, no hint of smoke, no burning, no nothing. And everybody is amazed, gasping and crying, like Ibrahim's God saved him from the flames. And you, could you imagine seeing that? Like you throw someone in a pit of fire, you're going to expect to hear screaming, yelling, you might, um, th there might be a stench. It's not pretty, right? Mm -hmm. But lo and behold, this guy comes out untouched. <laughs> People are like, what is going on here? Falling off their chairs. <laughs> and and ironically, seeing all of this, they still didn't believe. Like, imagine, subhanAllah. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, we can... And, you know, like, subhanAllah, it's... It, I mean, that just talks to the... The, the the hardened hearts and egos and the, the pride of may people. Allah protect us from uh, you know, Allah Muslim. protect us. I mean, I, mean, I yeah. was going to say the exact yeah. same thing. You know, um, so, yeah, I mean, Allah, this is a great demonstration of trusting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Him then accommodating or, or, or changing the circumstances in whatever way He sees fit to help and support you. Mm -hmm. And for us, and for people like us who have, um, who experience this, say, this is, um, a really important lesson, I think, because so much we can often feel very hopeless um, that things will ever change, that we'll ever feel happy and content about life. But this is the this is the pinnacle of of that. So imagine that you know what you're asking for is not going to be anywhere near as groundbreaking as fire not burning anymore. Right. Not that Ibrahim asked for it, but the point being that Allah is, Allah can do anything that that. Um, he wants mm -hmm. and we just have to trust in that and we just we just have to ask like keep knocking on that door Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. so as what he said regardless of the fact that this happened these people did not submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, and like as we've said the, their pride and arrogance got the better of them but Ibrahim was not shaken and he didn't lose hope um, and his mission continued subhanAllah right. and the, you know there always will be people who hate and there's always going to be opposition and opponents but as long as we put our trust and um, conviction in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, he will take care of all of our affairs inshallah um, and you know as I've said just there like it's it, this is a great example of that of, of really putting our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as people who are you know misunderstood and hated from within our own communities and I actually recently was reading a thread online um, and it was Muslims talking about, um, you know, pride basically, um, because it just happens to be Pride Month right now mm -hmm. as we're recording this. Um, and you know, they were they were saying a whole bunch of nasty things. I'm not going to repeat them. Mm -hmm. And you know, we it was it, it didn't bother me. I actually just felt sad for them because I felt like you have you are unwilling to engage. 
in understanding other people, even if they are not Muslim, and even let's say they're just following that life, they're loving that life, they're living that life, you are just so unwilling to even understand their perspective whatsoever. And you know, ultimately, that just pushes them away, like that, that pushes people away. And that's just not the Islam that I believe in. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the attitude of, of um, some of the Muslims I saw was just not um, acceptable. And so for us, obviously, we're, we also fall into that because we're misunderstood and then we're hated by our own community sometimes. And then on the other side as well, we are misunderstood and hated also by the LGBT side who, you know, will call us um, all types of names and say that we've got internalized homophobia, mm-hmm. yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. But, 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 but we keep our head high for Allah subhanahu We strive for his sake and people will always hate. But as long as we stay true to him, there's nothing that can stop us. Right. Haters are going to hate anyway, right? So we just keep moving. Yes. <laughs> All right. So if we fast forward in the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam, Allah reveals to Ibrahim that, um, uh, peace be upon him, that he should take Hajar, his wife, and their infant uh, boy, Ismail, on a long journey to Mecca. The family traveled to the Arabian desert where the sand dunes stretched out for miles and there was no sign of human habitation. So put yourself in that context. No one else but those three. And it's desert, it's hot, uh, no sign of life. Then Ibrahim made Hajar and Ismail climb a hill called Al-Marwa. And he left his wife and his child under the shelter of a tree with nothing but a bag of dates and some water for them. And so at that moment, Hajar, may Allah be pleased with her, she looks at Ibrahim alayhi salam and she tells him, for whom are you leaving us in this forsaken valley? But Ibrahim went and left her. Mm-hmm. And then she, asks, she asked him, has Allah commanded you to do this? And he said, yes. What does she reply? She says, then Allah will not cause us to be lost. This is pure and ultimate submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, complete trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She was in a place, I mean, there's nothing else. It's a desert. It's, it's sand dunes all over the place. It's no one, nothing, no one, zilch. And mm-hmm. he left her, her husband left her with her infant child, and obviously he was commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do this. And she knew that Allah commanded him to do this. And she said, Allah will not cause us to be lost. We have trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he, Ibrahim alayhi salam sets out and goes home. Mm. So there's trust on both sides. For sure Ibrahim is heartbroken. And Hajar is heartbroken. But they love Allah, they trust him, they submit to him. Mm. And they are able to put him first and foremost. And they know that he will take care of them. Even though that this is difficult, of course we're human. This is not an easy situation. Mm-hmm. This is heartbreaking, but Allah will take care of things. This is this is mm-hmm. what matters at the end. Right. So um, that's not how they saw it. They they didn't see it as we are being left in a hot desert. There's nothing. There's no one. You're leaving us. No. They had true vision. Mm. They had Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala front and center. And so we know the story that Hajar and Ismail supplies of food and the water, they were soon used up. 
and the mother and son become increasingly dehydrated. And we know the story of how Hajar at that point was desperate and she ran up the hills of Asafa and Al Marwa, those two hills, and she ran uh, from Asafa to Al Marwa and back seven times straining her eyes to see if a passing nomad could actually be seen in, a, in the distance. Mm-hmm. And then finally, after being exhausted, she collapsed. And then at that point, she heard a voice. The angel Jibril appeared. He struck his foot against the sandy ground. And then a stream of water gushed forth. And Hajar scooped up the water to drink and to fill her water skin with. And to obviously give to her infant child, Ismail. And the stream was called Zamzam, as we know. Mm-hmm. And it continues to flow to this day. Right. And so Hajar, may Allah be pleased with her, now has a water source that allowed her to trade with any passing travelers. And soon the mother and the son had all the food and the drink they needed. And more and more people were drawn to the running water as people would, you know, the nomads and the Bedouins would come to any source of water there is. So people started coming in. They started setting up camps. And they sent for their families and they started a new life in Mecca, turning that barren desert into a bustling settlement. So now more and more people were there. Mm. A new life began. And that was Hajar's legacy. This legacy is honored to this day through the Zamzam spring water and through the act of walking between the mountains of Safa and Marwa that we perform during Umrah and Hajj. Mm. So... Look at what trust and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. It raises us in this life and in the next one, inshallah. Inshallah. Allah always takes care of his servants. He never leaves them hanging. This, this is something that we need to remind ourselves of, inshallah. So if we fast forward... Um, further ahead in the timeline to another test of Ibrahim um, years later Ibrahim returns to Mecca to see his son a grown man and he learns that Hajar had passed away um, in his absence and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides again that he wants to test Ibrahim's um, submission so you know imagine having been away from your um, son for that period of time your own flesh and blood and then when you're brought back together, Allah sends you a dream that you have to fulfill. And in this dream, the Prophet Ibrahim was instructed to sacrifice his son Ismail to Allah. And you know, every, with everything that he'd been through to this point, anyone would actually give up and be like, why is my God instructing me to do all this? What is this cruelty? Um, but Ibrahim knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like that. Right. He is, you know, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, he is just and there has to be a purpose. And just like the miracle with the fire and then the miracle with Hajar and Ismail, there has to be a reason that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing Ibrahim with this very, very difficult trial, um, which is essentially being ordered to slaughter your own son, subhanAllah. And Ibrahim tells Ismail about the dream and they both agree to submit to the will of Allah. Right. You can't even imagine this type of trial. Father and son agree to you know, it's almost it's almost unthinkable and unspeakable to an extent. Right. Like you would yeah. you would never. It's 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 so it's so heavy, but they didn't fret once. Subhanallah. Um, exactly. Subhanallah. So Ismail lay um, prostrate with his head, his forehead touching the ground, and well, 
um, his father Ibrahim laid a sharp knife upon his neck. And if you, in looking back at all of the trials of Ibrahim, um, being persecuted from his family and his people, being thrown in the fire and having to leave his family in a barren desert and having no idea how they would um, sustain themselves, like who could handle this? Right. You know, but, you know, Ibrahim submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He, he continued to uh, maintain his trust. And, you know, his son, as we know, obviously goes on to become a prophet as well. And his son follows um, him. Mm-hmm. And um, also his mother's legacy, um, and you know Allah says in the Quran, and when he reached with him the age of exertion, he said, "Oh my son, indeed I have seen in a dream that I must sacrifice you, so see what you think." He said, "Oh my father, do as you are commanded. You will find me if Allah wills of the steadfast." And when they had both submitted, he put them down. So he put him down upon his forehead. We called to him, "O oh Ibrahim, you have fulfilled the vision." Indeed, thus do we reward the doers of good. And in place of Ismail, a large ram appeared as an alternative sacrifice. And so instead of killing Ismail, Ibrahim slaughtered the, the sheep, um, you know, to the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, Allah says in the Quran, indeed, this was the clear trial, a massive trial, a trial that we probably never, ever be faced with right. um, in our lives at all. That is comparable to that subhanAllah. And Allah continues by saying, and we ransomed him with a great sacrifice, and we left for him favorable mention among later generations. Peace be upon Ibrahim. Indeed, thus do we reward the doers of good. Indeed, he was one of our, he was of our believing servants. And, you know, and from Ibrahim's progeny, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought forth the most wonderful men and women who ever lived. Um, He placed prophethood in, in the bloodline of Ibrahim. And you can like, that is the most fitting reward because of the extent to which he has his trust and his belief in Allah was tested. Like, I don't know of any other honor that, that exactly. would have been worthy. Um, right. And, you know, we know that um, uh, Rasulullah, he comes from this progeny, he comes from this line, you know, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's, subhanAllah, it's, it's just amazing. And one of the many gifts of which he showered Ibrahim, he called him his, his friend, Khalilullah, and there's nobody else that Allah has given that or has called that um, like that, like he's the only Khalil of Allah, the only friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Allah has, has said himself um, and he's left an honourable mention until the final days of course, and we, like look at, every time we pray, we send peace and blessings upon Ibrahim and his family, and obviously the Prophet Sallam and his family, like we do, like how many Muslims do this every day? Right. Like, and imagine how many people from the time that we've been praying, Muslims have been praying up until now, how much praise and peace and blessing has been sent upon these people. Indeed. You can't even, like, you couldn't even begin to quantify it. SubhanAllah. Yeah. And, you know, this is like Allah sealing his, his high station in the hereafter. All of this because Ibrahim endured with absolute conviction and sincerity and devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than his fair share of trials and tribulations. Um, and Ibrahim didn't choose any of these of these trials. They were specially selected for him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The entirely merciful, always merciful God who chose for us our own trials. And you know, Ibrahim, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, embraced everything and walked the path because he understood all his troubles where God's way of raising him above and beyond, the more the troubles, the greater the love that Allah showers on us. 
Subhanallah. Going back to the topic of attachments and letting go of attachments, we could see that from the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam, right? Mm-hmm. That's his ultimate goal. That's Allah's ultimate goal for us, not to be attached to anything or anyone except to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. To finally swim with no help, to soar so high without any assistance and to be completely his. That is ultimate freedom. That is ultimate surrender. That is the declaration of there is no God but Allah. There is no God but Allah. La ilaha illallah. That is the foundation of our beautiful religion, right? The very first thing that we say is la ilaha illallah. Notice that the declaration of faith begins with this negation, which is very crucial and very critical. It's like we empty the heart from everything. Mm-hmm. Right before we hope to reach true tawhid, true monotheism, before we can assert our belief in the one Lord, we first say la ilaha. There is no ilah. Mm-hmm. Right? What is an ilah? An ilah is an object of worship. So it's imperative. It's very important to to understand that an ilah is not just some, something that we pray to. An ilah is whatever our life revolves around what we obey, what is of utmost importance to us above all else. So if I were to ask myself and I were to ask you and our audience members, everyone who's listening to us, what is the most important thing in your life? Mm -hmm. Someone or something that your life revolves around. The thing that we live for, Mm -hmm. that we cannot live without, right? So every person... Be that person a Muslim, Christian, Jew, agnostic, atheist, anyone else. Everyone has an ilah. Everyone worships something. Everyone's life revolves around something. Everyone has something that is of utmost importance to them, right? Mm-hmm. For most people, that object of worship is something from this dunya in particular. Some people worship wealth. Other people worship status. Some people worship fame. Other people worship their own intellect. Some people worship themselves, me, right? Mm -hmm. Their desires. Other people worship other people, right? Right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Have you seen him who has taken as his God his own desire, and Allah has sent him astray due to knowledge, and has set a seal upon his hearing and his heart, and put over his vision a veil? So who will guide him after Allah? Then will you not be reminded So, those objects of worship are things to which we become attached. But an object of attachment is not just something that we love. It is something that we need in the deepest sense of the word. It is something that if we lose it, it causes absolute devastation. If there is anything or anyone other than Allah that we could never give up, then we have what is known as a false attachment, a false quote-unquote God in a sense. Again, why was Prophet Ibrahim told to leave his family in a barren desert and then years later when he finally came back to see his own son that he left before he was instructed to sacrifice his own son. This, I mean, to a lay person, to someone who's looking from the outside, this is cruelty. Mm. But Allah had his goals, he had his intentions behind that. There were reasons why this was done and it was to free 
Ibrahim from any attachments, from all false attachments, from any god other than Allah. And once he was free, his object of love was given back to him. And in this case, it wasn't attachment, it was love. His object of love, which was his son, was given back to him. He wasn't attached anymore. So if there is anything or anyone whose loss would absolutely break us, we have a false attachment. And these are, again, things that we fear of, we fear losing almost to a pathological extent. You know, if, if that, if, if we even sense that that person or that thing is drifting away, we will be desperate and we will try to pursue that thing. We latch onto that thing. We chase it because losing that attachment causes complete devastation. And the severity of the devastation is proportional to the degree of attachment. The more we are attached, the more devastating it would be to lose that thing. Mm-hmm. Right? And as we said, you know, those attachments can be money, can be people, can be belongings, can be ideas, can be physical pressure, pleasure, drugs, status symbols, careers, images, how other people view us, our physical appearance, our beauty, the way we dress or appear to others, our own degrees and careers and job titles, our sense of control, our own intelligence, our rationality, whatever that may be. And again, as we said, many of us who struggle with SSA are too attached to specific individuals or to particular habits, sometimes venues, sometimes certain apps, certain thoughts, certain desires. Mm. But until, until we can break those false attachments, we cannot truly fill our hearts with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I just wanted to add something here. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I realized I was attached to was the fantasy of what it would be like to be with um be with another man basically right so the fact and i remember i you know i remember that being shattered mm-hmm. that fantasy and realizing that it was just that that it that it would never be because we we dredge up ideas of what that might be like mm-hmm. you know or it would be so amazing it would be like this it'll be like that right um it'll be so it will feel so good or, you know, we'll be in love, quote-unquote, <laughs> like you know, we'll be loving life. Right. But I remember realizing, um, I don't know exactly at which point it was now, but I just remember the moment of realizing that and thinking, oh, my God, that's a lie. Mm-hmm. And I can't invest energy in that lie anymore. Mm-hmm. I have to, like, lie. And, I was, and, I'll, and, it's, and as painful as it is, it's very liberating when we do that with whatever that attachment might be so you know you went through a whole list of things but it could be so many other things as well um other than just specifically this but i thought obviously it's it's most relevant to mention that right now because um Mm -hmm. of of our podcast and the the whole reason why we're doing it (laughs) right and subhanallah you Um, notice that a lot of replaces these things once you give give them up to him he replaces them with things that are beautiful and useful to you and fulfilling in ways that you could have never imagined right yes absolutely yes and in ways like you said you could not imagine like you could not ask for what he gives you and in return like you couldn't have i say that from experience there are certain things that have happened and have come into my life that i literally could not have asked for i couldn't have in my wildest dreams asked for it and i mean they're not like groundbreaking in the grand scheme of things but they were groundbreaking enough for me and that's all that matters because it's Mm -hmm. in your context it's in your situation it's in your life it's in what's happening to you 
And, yeah. you know, that thing might have seemed impossible, uh, you know, yesterday, but because of, you know, making new decisions, new steps, shedding old attachments and false beliefs, then Allah decides, you know what, as a reward, here you go, I'm giving you the thing you thought you could never have. And you're just, you're left like, what, hold on, it was that quick? <laughs> like, what is going on here? It's so far, exactly. it's, it's complete exactly. amazement. And that's where sugar comes and you just marvel in the awe of Allah's power. SubhanAllah. 100%, absolutely. Beautifully said, mashallah. So um, if we go back to the statement of La ilaha illallah, there is no God but Allah. Um, if we truly think about this, you know, just for a tiny moment, when matters get tough and it boils down to letting, to letting go of things for his sake or to remaining attached to them, what will it be? This is a very difficult question, honestly. It's a very tough choice. I mean, at face value, a lot of us say, and we might be thinking, well, obviously, he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, comes first. It shouldn't be a matter of debate. Mm. But when our mind and our heart are too invested and too attached to someone or something that we feel it's almost lethal to let go, it becomes an ultimate sacrifice. Right. Right? We might be questioning the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing us with this particular matter or feeling that there is an injustice towards us. But once we do that sacrifice, once we commit to that sacrifice wholeheartedly, we make it for Him subhanahu wa ta'ala, everything changes. Everything changes. A new dimension opens. And we find peace. We get what we want and even more. And this is promised from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's it's just ironic because, you know, we're spending so much energy. Everybody, you know, SSE and otherwise, <laughs> people are just spending so much energy chasing things that they you know, think that they, that they want. Um, and they're so badly afraid of losing it or not achieving that thing or, or, or you know, gathering maybe wealth or whatever it might be. Um, that we completely lose sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's so true. Um, I've seen that in my experience uh, with myself and other people. And, you know, the, the the irony of it all is that we end up losing the thing that we're chasing mm -hmm. or we're attached to. Right. But when we give up that attachment and when we stop, you know, being so desperate about that attachment or the thing that we're running up, running towards that we think that we need, and we redirect ourselves and our energy towards Allah. He gives us that thing and much more than we could have ever imagined. And like I just said before, Subhanallah. Uh, that I, I know that to be true. <laughs> I couldn't. And I, I can attest to that. And, and yeah. lots of us can actually, we're having a lot of aha moments at this point, I would assume. And a lot of us would say this is 100% correct. Right. It happens all the time with us. And I've heard tons of stories from people. And this is just, subhanAllah, one of Allah's rules in the universe. Yes. It's one of his sunnahs in the universe. It happens mm. all the time. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And just like the hadith of the Prophet when he says, Verily, you will never leave anything for the sake of Allah Almighty, but that Allah will replace it with something better. Again, true statement. It's so true. But it's the challenge of just, you know, falling off the cliff and trusting that there's a soft landing at the bottom, even though all that you're seeing right now is rocks. Indeed. <laughs> you know, right. um, you know, there is no God but Allah, la ilaha illallah. 
It's never easy. It's, it's not just something that we say with our tongues. It's a deep-rooted belief, polished after many, many experiences of purification and letting go, until we can finally declare it with our hearts, our minds, our, our body and our soul, and that there's no attachments left except you know, to him. And at last, we're in that free space where nothing sort of, you know, we feel attached to and he suffices us um, right. uh, completely. Right. And, you know, if we, if we examine this clearly, all of the five pillars of Islam are essentially about and meant to enable the detachment that we're talking about. So if we think about the, the shahada, the mm-hmm. declaration of faith, declaration of faith is the verbal profession of the very detachment that we're trying to achieve, that we as Muslims spend our entire lives trying to achieve, that the only object of our worship, our ultimate devotion, our love, our fear, our hope is, is God and God alone. Um, and to succeed at freeing oneself from all other attachments, except the attachment to the Creator, that's the manifestation of that declaration of faith. And that's always a work in progress, like we said before. Um, there is no arrival. Mm-hmm. There, we don't arrive anywhere. It's that process that we continue to follow mm-hmm. and embark on in that journey. And at the end of it all, you know, we have hope that Allah accepts it from us. And, you know, um, and you know, I have lots of hope that Allah accepts all of the good that we all do. And Inshallah. that, you know, when we, when we meet our Lord, we meet him on brilliant terms, on excellent terms. Inshallah. Inshallah. I mean. And also the salah, the, the five, the five prayers, um, you know, five times a day, we have to pull ourselves away from the dunya right. to focus on our creator and our ultimate purpose. So five times a day, we detach ourselves from whatever is, is going on in the world, you know, whether we're at work or school or we're with family or whatever we're doing, we turn to Allah. And you know, the prayer, the salah could have been prescribed only once a day or a week or and, you know, all five prayers could have been done at um, one particular time each day, but that's not how it is. Mm-hmm. The prayers are spread throughout the entire day um, and they're specified at specific times so that there's, you know, the, the windows between them. We might, you know, start to slip, but lo and behold, it's time for the next prayer. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, we're, um, we're, we're having to refocus again. We're having to come back to center again having to refocus and, and remember Allah again. And it's that constant um, adjustment and that pivoting, um, you know, between the prayer, what happens outside of the prayer, and then the next one, and then what happens outside, and then next one, and the next one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly forced to detach from the dunya and to focus on the one true attachment or object of attachment and, and redirect um, our thoughts and energy. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And then we have siyam, we have fasting, and fasting is all about detachment. We're not long out of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. It's the detachment from that, the, the very thing that gives us life, or Allah has given us a sustenance to allow us to live and be healthy, which is food and drink, and sexual intimacy and vain speech. Um, and by restraining our physical selves, we um, ennoble, purify, and exalt our spiritual selves. It's the ultimate disciplining of the self. Mm-hmm. You know, through fasting, we're forced to detach from all of our physical needs, the desires, and all the pleasures. And you mm-hmm. know, Ramadan's a, a great time. I feel like um, I, I always enjoy Ramadan for that that part of it, of the, the detachment and just the quieting of things, because things just stop. 
you stop focusing on, on other things and it's all about Allah and it's all about, you know, fasting, it's all about Quran, it's all about getting closer to Allah. Right. Um, Absolutely. And then we have, yeah, and then we have Zakat. Zakat is all about detaching ourselves from our own wealth and giving it away for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And by giving it away, we're forced to break our attachment to wealth. And, um, I mean, I can't talk for other people, but um, zakat is so important. Um, it's it's one of the it's a farthest for one, but I feel like it's it's often neglected, particularly in the West. I don't know what it's like in other parts. People tend to forget it, in my experience, and they kind of don't really pay attention to it. But it's it's part of our being. It's part of the fundamentals of what we do as Muslims, or and it's the right of the poor. And I find it a purifying experience because. Um, I know that the money is going to people who are absolutely in desperate need of it. Mm-hmm. And it's their heart. Well, Allah, like Allah has given them a right over that part of our wealth. And it does teach us to, it teaches, it forces you to face the attachment that you might have to your wealth. So if you're feeling like some type of way about hitting that donate button, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're being faced with an attachment mm-hmm. and we have to deal with it. I probably couldn't even pinpoint exactly what Allah's given me as a result of all that, all the money that I've ever given in zakat or in sadaqah. I, I, I possibly couldn't. There's no way of measuring that impact. But you know, the, it comes back in so many different ways. Subhanallah. Indeed, Subhanallah. And even if it's not zakat, like a lot of us cannot afford zakat because we don't reach the threshold, and that's like a complete fiqh perspective. We're not going to go into this. Yep. But even when we give out charity, like a lot of us do give out charity on a regular basis, right? Yes. So giving out charity um, allows us to break our attachment to wealth, right? So that is a, a very, very important aspect of detachment, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's the ongoing, isn't it? It's like the ongoing mm-hmm. um, lesson or or, or um, disciplining that Zagat offers um, us as well. And then we have the final one, which is Hajj. Hajj is one of the most comprehensive and profound acts of detachment. Because a pilgrim, you know, when you travel to um, Mecca, you leave behind everything um, in your in your life. You're leaving mm-hmm. behind sometimes family um, or parts of your family. Not because not it, generally speaking, not everybody goes with you <laughs> unless mm-hmm. that's how you're doing it. But for most people, that's not. Um, you're leaving mm-hmm. your home, your your job, your salary, your bed, your comforts, your you know your clothes, your shoes. You know, all in exchange for what? For sleeping on the ground in crowded tents and wearing literally two simple pieces of cloth. Like, right. It makes no sense, right, in the physical realm if you just, like, exclude Allah from the picture. You know, there's no state symbols at Hajj at all. It's completely devoid of attachments. Um, exactly. SubhanAllah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a incredible manifestation of detachment. And so the, the true test um, is that of detachment. And through that, we empty our hearts in preparation for that which nourishes um, our hearts and gives gives our heart life. And that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as for us in particular, people who are experiencing SSA, many of us have lots of emotional baggage. And, you know, many of us have experienced a myriad of traumatic events throughout our lives in our childhood, our upbringing that has left us scarred and longing for emotional connections. And as a result of this, we have a spectrum of different 
outcomes from the turbulence that we've experienced, from insecurities, low self-confidence, self-loathing, self-harm. You know, we, we try to fill up the voids that we feel. Um, but given the fact that um, many of us are hypersensitive and highly emotional, we latch onto emotional connections that end up becoming, um, you know, unhealthy attachments that we've been talking about throughout this entire right. episode. And mm -hmm. any threat to those connections um, throws us off into a state of imbalance. Um, and I'm not generalizing um, in right. terms of like everybody has this problem. It's, that's not true. But it's, um, I would say in my experience, and I know Fahid and yours, this is quite a common occurrence. It's not mm -hmm. an isolated one-off thing. Right. We see this regularly with what people say about their mm -hmm. experiences with others and in discussions that, mm -hmm. that you have with um, yep. brothers and sisters who have SSA. Right. And compared to other people, letting go of the things that we've long desired and craved might actually be more, much, much more difficult. Right. But that's the path of healing. So many of us are afraid of losing people we love once we have found them. Uh, people who are capable of giving us pure and unconditional love. Many of us hurt them in the process or even hurt ourselves. And we realize how insecure we are deep down. And we put on masks and hide how we truly fear out of the fear of losing other people. And many of us have lacked love ever since we were children. And nonetheless, we're capable of giving love to others in our lives. But when we receive it from others, we feel inadequate or unworthy or undeserving. Um, we feel less than, we feel fake, we feel like imposters. Um, and at the same time, we're possessive. We get jealous. We don't want to lose the connection. Um, and we feel like the thirst that we have for that connection isn't quenched. And it's so messy and complicated and conflicting. And it's, it just it feels like a, a hot mess. Right. <laughs> um, I'm speaking from experience, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the path of healing from trauma or past traumas for many of us has, has been just that going through layers and layers of of different insecurities and trauma and allowing pure love to permeate in, in our lives and you know to open up that pandora's box of pain and finally process all of those things that we've been ignoring or suppressing right and to realize that he allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with us all along and he's helping us through this and you know to let go of our habits and negative thinking to feel worthy of love and to feel loved and also to then sincerely genuinely offer it back to other people mm -hmm. and to be true to ourselves and dropping all of the you know the charades the masks the performances and just being you know trans being transparent and vulnerable showing up as our true selves and any addictions and bad habits that we might have accumulated over the years are only the tip of the iceberg and they melt during that process of, of healing exactly and then the last step is always what to let go right and this is the toughest step there is because you know while every other step out there um we have taken might have been through the support of other people or what have you the last step is you know recall what we said at the beginning of the episode that kid who is floating in the water on his own for the first time he actually took a leap of faith. He could, took a complete leap of faith. And that is the last step. When you take a complete leap of faith mm -hmm. and you let go. But you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. He 
will not take love away from you. Mm. He won't take those who are dearest to you out of your life. He doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want you to be in pain. All he wants is for you to be purified. He wants to purify you. He wants to love you and for mm. you to experience his love. So when we realize that, we know that we are not jumping off of a cliff to our own doom. We are, we are jumping and we know wholeheartedly that he is there to catch us. Mm -hmm. um, he has been preparing the training ground all along for that particular moment. He has been with us all along. All of the trauma and all of the healing were calculated. All the people who enter and exit our lives, all the events leading to and from that, everything in between, everything is divinely orchestrated in the most intricate of ways beyond human comprehension. And the last step is when we finally attain freedom and we just let go. And again, it's the toughest step, yet it is the most rewarding of all. That's like the grand finale. We let go of all attachments, all expectations, all pains, all wants. We let go of the fantasies and desires. We let go of anything that is keeping us away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we just float in his presence. We float um, in his care. And we realize that all of the beauty, all of the love, all of the peace, all of the happiness will come to us much more than we could have ever expected or realized. Mm. And everything else is just history. SubhanAllah. I would like to end this episode with a quote from Yasmin Mujahid. And she says, Know this, Allah is the turner of hearts. He can heal your heart. And he can heal it quickly. Ask him. Tawakkul is letting go completely of something you love but having firm faith that he will replace it with something better. And there is a beautiful dua that uh, the Prophet ﷺ taught us. In Arabic it goes like, Ya muqallib al-qulub, thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Allahumma ya musarif al-qulub, sarrif qulubana ala ta'atak. And in English it go, uh, the translation is, O turner of the hearts, make my heart firm upon your religion. O oh Allah, turner of the hearts, direct our hearts to your obedience. Amen. Amen, Ya Rab. So we ask Allah to make our hearts firm upon his religion and to direct our hearts to his obedience, always and forever, inshallah. Amen, Ya Rab. Amen. And with this, we have come to the end of our episode. I would like to sincerely thank my wonderful co-host and friend, Adam. <laughs> thank you so much, Adam. Jazakallah khairan for joining me for the past four episodes. You have been a wonderful co-host as usual. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed uh, the preparations and the recordings uh, of these four episodes. Yes. Um, and I would, I really look forward, inshallah, to having you in future episodes, uh, inshallah. Um, any last words you would like to end this episode with? Um, yeah, the pleasure is all mine because, you know, as we're going through these episodes and this content, it's a, it's an education and a reminder for me. And, you know, mm -hmm. even though like I'm the mouthpiece, I'm very much learning as well with everybody else. So we are all, you know, um, in this together and, uh, it's moment by moment, uh, bit by bit, step by step that you know, we see change amalgamate over 
a, a, a period of time and Allah says to us as well that the most beloved acts are the ones that we do that are sort of small and consistent, right. the ones that we constantly do. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, if, if we keep up and act over a period of time, mm-hmm. the effects of it um, become manifest. Right. Uh, and when we look back, we think, oh my God, I can't believe I've traveled such a big distance. How did I get here? Right. Uh, so I mean, I, the point of saying all of that is just that, no, although we're talking about the ideal of complete detachment mm-hmm. from... Um, you know, things that are not good for us, that are unhealthy, mm-hmm. that um, we we are completely aware <laughs> that this is an ongoing process. Right. And no one's perfect. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. And that that's fine. We just have to um, find our way back to centre, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. our, you know, our place of what we know for sure, which is what, that Allah is one, that he has our backs, that he can always be consulted. He's, like I said in one of the other episodes, he's the only examiner that you can ask the, the answers to the test. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. SubhanAllah. So I just I just wanted to say that. Beautiful. As always. Barakallah Thank you so much for uh, all of your efforts. And I would like to extend the thanks to all of the listeners who have been listening to us. Jazakumullah khairan. And once again, you can always listen to our episodes on our website, awaybeyondtherainbow.busproud.com and on all of your favorite podcast apps. And you can email us anytime on awaybeyondtherainbow at gmail.com. In the next episode, inshallah, we will be talking about a very, very special theme, which is the gifts and the divine openings that come with SSA. Until next Friday, we hope that you have a blessed week ahead. Stay safe and healthy. And we'll talk to you next Friday, inshallah. This has been Away Beyond the Rainbow with Adam Ali and Wahid Jensen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.